What's up, everything? It's been a big week for the St. Louis Blues with Alex Steen's 1,000th game, Joel Edmondson's return to St. Louis, and lots and lots of trade rumors. We'll break it all down with guest co-host Justin Horniker. He likes to run really fast, so let's get started, and let's go Blues! Welcome back, everyone. Welcome to the Two Guys One Cup podcast. It is Wednesday, February 5th. I got the first thing right, and I am joined tonight by Justin Horniker, a good friend from the Running Through podcast and also from the uh, STL Soccer Talk Lads podcast that the three of us have started. Justin, how are you doing tonight? Doing good. I am coming to you live from Kansas City uh, in Kansas. No, in Missouri. Sorry, got that messed up. Well, uh, <laughs> you wouldn't be the first. Uh, you are uh, in the hometown of the Super Bowl champions. I am. So I am. That's got to feel pretty today. good. I had to work, so I had to weave my way through the parade. Much like uh, some drunken yeah, drivers. Yeah, that, have... that was the car that you saw driving out of the parade route. <laughs> That's uh, believable. Totally, totally believable. Uh, we had, uh, Ian had a loss in his family, unfortunately, and he had to travel up to Minnesota unexpectedly, so uh, we just thought this was the best way to fit an episode in this week. Uh, our thoughts go out to him, obviously, but uh, Justin, you are now officially the most frequent co-host of the Two Guys One Cup podcast. How does that feel? Happy to be here. Do I get a jacket or anything, or what's the... Uh, we'll send you something. I don't know okay. what. I don't know what. We'll have to decide what, uh, you know... We'll figure it out. We'll figure it out later. Allocate some we'll parts of the budget, but uh, <laughs> we'll get it done. I do have a uh, Kansas City Royals bobblehead on my desk in honor of you. Well, and uh, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I that yeah, we're glad to have you here. I guess technically speaking, by uh, number of appearances, our most frequent co-host is probably Morrissey of the Smiths. <laughs> By quality and, and length of appearance, it would certainly be yours. So uh, we're going to give you the edge over that British guy. So, Appreciate that. Yeah, uh, I think it's appropriate. Uh, the Blues did not have the edge over the Edmonton Oilers. As we were just saying before we recorded, this game feels like about a thousand years ago. But here we are. Uh, that was only five days ago on Friday, January 31st. It was last month, though. Maybe that's why it feels so long ago. It's so last month. Uh, <laughs> That's right. Uh, the um, stellar goaltending matchup of Jake Allen and Miko Koskinen. Uh, <laughs> not, not stomach churning in any way. Jake Allen has been a lot better this season. This was not his best showing, but uh, uh, the Oilers opened the scoring with a goal, 531 in Leon Dreisaitl. Scored here, uh, Petrangelo missed Jay Bomeister on an exit pass by a country mile, and the Oilers got it, and Ryan Nugent Hopkins and connected with Dreisaitl for the laser home. Uh, those forwards are both really good, and uh, it was a miscue defensively. You remember that goal at all? Yeah, that Leon Dreisaitl guy, I don't know if he's going to work out, My but he's, God, uh, he's having a pretty he good year. I thought not bad. I th I I will admit. I mean, I like him because I like German players. But for a while there, I was like, <laughs> he's like, 
built up by McDavid, right? Because I just assume everybody on the Oilers is. But that yeah. dude is like a, a top 10 player all on his own. Yeah, and especially when, if you have him on different lines, then if I were a competent GM, I would just build out wingers around him. But, well, uh, you know. You're a more competent GM than anyone the Oilers have had. It seems like the memory. easiest thing is just to like bring in cost-effective wingers. and But you bring in the cost-effective wingers, and they play better because they're on... McDavid and Drysaddle's line, and then you pay them like they're uh, actual players. I thought wingers were supposed to be the easiest part, right? Right. That was always my They've got three. I mean, they should have the best center core in the National Hockey League. If R&H is your third center. That's pretty good. And you've got McDavid, Drysaddle. If you could just have even Pretenzi's wingers. Like, if they had three or four of the guys that are kind of like bottom six guys for us, Zach Samford, who we're going to talk about in a while, they'd be unstoppable, at least offensively. But here we are. Uh, Caleb yeah, I don't Jones, think somebody that's like an anchor on McDavid's wing is really the best option. Oh, we'll talk about him in a little bit. <laughs> Caleb Jones got his first goal of the season. Uh, Matt Benning assisted. Never a good sign when Matt Benning... Uh, really is doing anything offensively against <laughs> the Oilers won the faceoff. There was some chaos. It got back to Benning. Benning passed it over to Jones, who shot it. Allen was probably heavily screened here, but I also felt like he got way too much of it for the puck to trickle into the net. Uh, what did you think about this one? I did not think it was a great look for Jake. No. Yeah, and it was one of those things where it's like two quick goals that always seems to happen when Jake's in that for some reason and mm-hmm. not when anyone else is that like really took it not, out of him in the first quarter. Then you have to claw your way back because you're down to nothing really quick. Not an indication of of how good or bad Jake Allen is, <laughs> just something that seems to follow him. No, and like to credit right. him, he did a decent enough job of yeah, like I mean, getting made, back into it. But He ultimately made 32 saves in this game, so you can't hmm. be too hypercritical. Um or 31 saves, I guess, on 34 shots on him. Um, the Blues did try, did ultimately equalize in second and third period goals. The first one was David Perron's 23rd of the season, a nice pass to the point from behind the net by Zach Samford, who will be a star of this episode of the podcast, as he was last episode. Maybe we've advanced to Zach Samford's intermediate driving school. Ooh. Uh, <laughs> Petrangelo <laughs> shot on Koskinen, who was pretty heavily screened, and Perron knocked in the nifty backhand pass as he's cross-checked down to the ice. David Perron scoring on, weird to think about this, his former team, his second NHL team, the Edmonton Oilers. That seems like a very long time ago. I always forget about that, like, pit. Pittsburgh, right? Oh. He played in Pittsburgh for yeah. like a hot minute as and well. Anaheim. All three of those <laughs> wow. are like weird. Like wow. I guess I understand because we gave him there and got him back. But right, we had to lose him at some point. Imagine if the Oilers had just even just kept David Perron. He would be Imagine like, David Perron and Connor, Connor McDavid's wing. If, if current nice. David Perron with his magic stick was on Connor McDavid's wing, I f- genuinely believe he'd have a 100 point season. Yeah, I think so. I really <laughs> think so. He would be like a 40 goal scorer with 100 points. And you can at least keep up with him. But anyway, yeah. you don't need to give Edmonton tips. Oh, no, no. I mean, they wouldn't take him even if we did. But <laughs> Robert Thomas scored early in the third period to tie this game. It was 2-12 into the third, assisted by Tyler Bozak, who, by the way, I was looking at some metrics when we're talking about Zach Sanford. Tyler Bozak, kind of a hidden gem on this team this year. He's not ever going to be the player that excites anybody. Um, 
But he's probably got to be, you know, up close to the 25, 30 point mark. That's his 14th assist. I don't know exactly how many goals he has. I'll look it up. But uh, Robert Thomas, of course, is elite, as everyone, including EA Sports NHL, <laughs> knows. Uh, Bozak pickpocketed Jujar Kara in the slot and hit Thomas for the easy goal. Uh, this was after a bunch of play in the um, offensive zone. Any thoughts on that goal? or Yeah, the no, I think it just uh, shows how good that pairing is because, like, Tyler Bozak is a little bit more, like, fundamentally sound, um, whereas Robert Thomas is a little more exciting. So Thomas can go and try to make moves, and Thomas or uh, Bozak will always kind of be there to pick up or, like, track back if something doesn't go right. Not mm-hmm. that it does when Robert Thomas has the puck. But. No, it never goes wrong. Uh, Bozak does have 25 points with 11 goals. Nice. So, uh, very nice. Um, also, a 54% faceoff percentage because he always does that well. And a relative Corsi 4 of negative 0.1, but only 0.1. So, it's pretty, pretty good. Pretty good. Uh, for a third center, not the end of the world. Leon Dreisaitl, still good at hockey. Uh, gets the lead back for the uh, Oilers here. Uh, Kaylor Yamamoto, who is going to be a very good player, is a very good young player. Ryan Nugent Hopkins uh, get the assists on this. Um, <laughs> this was a Oof. <laughs> this was bad on so many levels. I identified three points of massive failure. You can add any that you see fit. Uh, this play started in the Blues zone when they won a faceoff, and Robert Thomas, who we just got done praising profusely profusely tried a uh, blind backhand pass to the dot and Leon Dreisaitl intercepted it. Um, As the Oilers entered our zone, Justin Falk is inexplicably pinching on Kaylor Yamamoto, who is an unproven rookie skating straight at Alex Petrangelo, while Leon Dreisaitl, one of the top 10 forwards in the National Hockey League, skates in unmanned on the side that Justin Falk should be defending. Yamamoto uh, managed to sneak a pass through the fortress that is Justin Falk. Not the first time a man named Yamamoto has snuck something past American defenders, and Dreisaitl got it, and Allen is way out of position, unable to make a save. I think Allen is the least culpable here, because it's Leon Dreisaitl, and what are you going to do? I would say Falk is the most culpable, and the Robert Thomas play that created it all, not a great look either. Uh, What's your breakdown on this play here? Yeah, just overall a team-wide failure. Yeah. It really was from top to bottom. Because <laughs> Thomas can't be making that play. I know, like, he's going to try that stuff because he's so talented. Elite, um, one might say. But you also expect the defense to, like, hold up when things like that do happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's just, um, you know, Dry Saddle's really good. I think Yamamoto will be really good. Ryan Nugent Hopkins is really good, but this was a clusterfuck, and it was a disaster for the Blues, and uh, I think it was kind of a perfect encapsulation of everything that was going wrong on this road trip for them. Uh, Yeah, and I think it kind of took the air out of the sails of a team that had just rallied back to tie the game, and the Oilers maintained control and got the empty net shorthanded goal by Josh Archibald, which was another disastrous play. Baruby pulled the goalie with the Blues on the power play, Perron hands it right to Archibald, right as that happened, who broke Thomas's ankles as he came out as the would-be sixth attacker, uh, and uh, Archibald then had an empty net 
free and queer. Uh, Justin, was this a bad call or was it a, a really bad call? I'd say bad. Okay. Um, obviously, at some point you got to pull the goalie, but like waiting until we get possession would have been nice. Um, not handing it off would have also been nice. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so tell, talk to me about this. I'm a butthurt fan. Explain okay. to me why the Blues should pull the goalie at all when they had the power play and don't seem to ever score on six on five. So Or six on six on four, four for that six matter, which is the equivalent of five on three, which we never score. I mean, statistically, it should even out at some point. Right, like you pull the goalie to add the extra man so that you can dominate possession, so you can get a better chance because somebody is going to be on man at all times. Two people in that case, um, um, unless you just turn the puck over, then then it's a disaster. Then it's a disaster like this was. Uh, yeah, and so the Blues, I the Blues lose four to two, and um, I don't feel like they deserved a better outcome. <laughs> Uh, they got outshot 35 to 32. The Oilers had, it was a very even Corsi four, Fenwick four game. Uh, the Oilers did not have the better of the high danger chances. It was 12 to eight blues. It was more expected goals by the Oilers, uh, slightly, but really at the end of the day, it's a really even game statistically where I just think the blues, uh, made the critical mistakes and the shot chart is not a great uh hmm. image for the blues because the goals are all kind of out from the periphery and not nearly as close uh the oilers goals that is um yeah i don't know any any overarching thoughts on this game before we move on yeah i mean i think if we ended up having to play them in a series we should win pretty handily because like depth being our strength and the oilers obviously mcdavid is very good dry is very good well, Hopkins very good but depth and being dirty don't yeah, that. and and being the dirtiest dirtiest players in the NHL, that's how we win. Um, Which would help us because we'd just inter- injure Connor McDavid or Leon Dreisaitl, and then all you have to do is take out Connor McDavid, and then you you right. win the game. That's right. That's we injured Eric Carlson, and that's how we beat the Sharks. It's not that he's deteriorating on his own at all. Yeah, it's not like he couldn't pivot or anything like that. Yeah, that wasn't the no, it's our fault. Uh, yeah, I don't. I'm not. I you know I'm not afraid of the Oilers and this road trip. I'm hoping the game we'll talk about uh, last night's game will kind of just kind of put that in the rearview mirror and. Even good teams hit rocky patches and it's just a slump, but it was not pleasant. It remained unpleasant uh, against the Winnipeg Jets on Saturday, the back-to-back in Winnipeg. Uh, This was Bennington against Connor Hellebuck, which should be a very good goalie matchup. Wasn't Bennington's best night. Um, I'm trying to remember if there was anything else that happened before this game. I don't have any notes, so we'll say not. Um, oh, this was Alex Steen's 1,000th NHL Yes, game, that's right. Very appropriately in uh, the town his where his dad became a, a legend, the Winnipeg Jets. Thomas was he born Steen. in Winnipeg? I always forget. I knew he grew I think up there. Te- yeah, I think he technically probably was. I mean, he, he claims, you know, Swedish nationality for um, international hockey purposes, but according to... <sighs> Uh, hockey reference, he was born in Winnipeg, Manitoba. Does he claim Swedish? He does play Team Sweden, right? Yeah, he but, does. Okay, that marked him as a Canadian, so I guess... So, was... real question. We know that Winnipeg doesn't have an airport, so if anything <laughs> were to go wrong, 
Do they have a hospital? Have we? I don't know. Discuss that yet? Um, I don't. Wait, I actually did happen to hear <laughs> that some player, I forget who it was, I don't think it was on our team, did get medical treatment in okay. Winnipeg after a game. So they have a, a medical facility of some kind. I don't know. You know, a hospital seems like it's probably generous. Just a clinic, uh, yeah. emergency clinic, yeah, of some sort. Like a lean-to, maybe with a couple of forceps, something like that. Something like that. Um, but you know, it's enough to pass the bar. Um, not the bar because those are for lawyers. But you know what I'm saying. It's it's it I makes gotcha. the grade as by given Manitoba standards. Uh, Jack Roslovic had a good game here. Former. Uh, first round pick of the St. Louis Blues, well, picked with a Blues first round pick, not actually chosen by the Blues. I forget how they got that. Was that maybe the Miller trade that somehow got bounced over, maybe in the Tyler Myers deal? That would be my best guess. I just, forever, one of those things that's going to take the space of, you know, remembering friends' birthdays uh, is, you know, knowing that Jack Roslovic was the first round pick that the Blues once had, but he gets his 10th goal of the season assisted by Sammy Niku. Uh, the pass hits the lineman on an exit here. Niku gets it. Nice saucer pass to Roslovic for the goal. Really unfortunate bounce and kind of emblematic of the bad luck the Blues had throughout that road trip. Any thoughts on that one? No, yeah, just bad puck luck. Um, it seemed like we were a little bit tired. I think this trip was kind of like a meat grinder for us. Uh-huh. Yeah, it was. Thank God it wasn't the uh, dad's trip. Which, yeah. When is that happening? I would think it'd be pretty soon here. But... And I remember seeing something about it. I think it's our next road trip, maybe, is possibly. It... You would think it would want to be comfortably before or comfortably after the uh, trade deadline. but who Yeah, knows? and we also have to win every game on the dad's trip like we usually do. Well, that's true. Yeah, well, that's a given. So that's good. <laughs> I mean, we got those in the bag. Uh, the Jets then scored again. Once again, late period scoring, killing us. Jack Roslovic once again, his 11th of the season with three minutes left in the third, second period. Uh, Kulikov got some space in the circle and took a shot. Roslovic sli- slid across the front of the net and got the rebound. And the defense seemed to be uh, sort of in the right place here, but they weren't doing much else, and it wasn't a pretty goal. Uh, Andrew Kopp scored his eighth of the season shortly after that. And uh, he skated M. Falk, and Petrangelo didn't do enough, and the shot beat Bennington low on the glove side. Any thoughts on either of those goals? No, uh, not great looking. Yeah. Yeah, no, I would say not. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I mean, it's, I don't know, we were a mess right then, and so I'm not, I don't know. I don't want to linger on this game too long because it's kind of like, yeah, we sort of sucked. I don't know what else to say. Uh, Shin got a goal after the halfway point of the third period. Give the Blues a little hope. Uh, Sort of, you know, typically awesome stuff by Shin, Schwartz, and Thomas here. Um, They're really good together, you know, and understandable that Thomas would then get the bump up to that line in the next game, as we'll talk about. Uh, they enter in a line, and Thomas sh- had a short backhand to Schwartz, who uh, hit Shin with a longer feed, and Shin rifled it home. O'Reilly gave the Blues a little more hope a few minutes later. Uh, Baumeister made an awesome pinching play to keep the puck in. Samford uh, hit O'Reilly for the snipe, uh, but ultimately Wheeler and Patrick Wine would add empty netters uh, to seal the game 5-2 to two for the Jets. Uh, even though the Blues outshot them and had a little bit of the Corsi advantage, high-danger chance advantage, 
they did not have the expected goal advantage, and they did not have the goal advantage, which is what really counts. So, I don't know. Anything more to say about anything I just kind of simmed through or uh, the game in general in Winnipeg, other than, you know, we can spend about 30, 40 more minutes mocking the city of Winnipeg, if you'd like. Yeah, I mean, I'm always down for that. Um, I really like that Robert Thomas is getting chances, and even though he's made some errors in the past couple of games, that everybody's showing a little more patience with him than he did like last year, for instance. So it's because I don't think we have like we really don't have anybody that's quite the playmaker like he is even no. at this point in his career. So it's nice to see him actually get the run out. Baruby takes a long time to trust young players. But it does kind of seem like they eventually get to a point where he's, like, not going to punish them for their mistakes. Yeah. For every mistake, you know, he's not going to just yank Thomas down to the fourth line anymore. Uh, hi, Jordan Cairo. Not that he would do that to you either, ever. Not that that would ever happen. Uh, but, uh, you know, it takes him a long time to see what he wants to see, but he usually usually uh sees it and then kind of stick kind of sticks with it i can't speak uh so yeah i mean thomas is great and uh he did get moved up to the first line second line whatever you want to call it the uh shin and schwartz line uh prior to the um carolina game on tuesday last night uh this was of course joel edmondson return to st louis to get his uh, Stanley Cup ring as, uh, I don't know if you heard about this, Justin, because it wasn't talked about much, but Doug Armstrong actually made the effort to fly in Joel Edmondson's parents on the Blues dime to make sure they were there for the ceremony. Little known story, not... Such a good hockey move. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it is a classy (laughs) move, right? But then they talk about it every 10 seconds and it's like okay well it feels less classy now <laughs> press coverage you're getting although you know that's not necessarily army's fault uh vlad tarasenko was also at the ceremony that's a nice touch since he you know was one of the alternate captains at the time but you know very yeah i'm happy to see that edmondson took it easy on his shoulder yeah and then the look that tarasenko gave him afterwards was very nice i yes. love to see it uh they you know edmondson had an article on the athletic i haven't read it all because uh my emotions but uh <laughs> you know the headline was something along the lines of basically he didn't want to leave st louis and you know that's understandable they just won the cup he's been with that organization as long as he's been an nhl player and uh change is hard i think you know the fortunate thing for him is um he's got uh free agency after this year he can re-sign with carolina he seems to be having a lot of fun there he can go wherever he wants and you know i don't i don't see it necessarily but i wouldn't entirely rule out a reunion here i mean doug armstrong does love bringing guys back and well mostly david perron yeah, uh, he's in the defensive day of prime, except Troy Brower. he needs to grow a French accent. Yes, well, that's a given. I mean, Joel Evanson with a French accent would be terrific. Um, Sammy Blay has a French accent, and he scored. He doesn't actually have a very thick one, I don't think, but uh, he should. And he scored the sixth goal, his sixth goal of the season, the first goal of the night. Uh, and Justin Falk got the primary assist on this, which is nice because, as I failed to mention, it was also his first game against the Hurricanes um, since he got traded on the other end of the Edmondson deal. Ivan Barbashev also assisted here. Uh, I thought Jordan Cairo was maybe kind of the star player of this setup here, though, because he had a couple of great chances and then 
Uh, really smart play goes towards the bench to go off for a line change. I don't think he ultimately got there, which, hey, double bonus. It's a plus one <laughs> on your stat sheet. But uh, the puck got back out to Falk eventually. He took a shot on goal, and Blay was there for the rebound. It's his first goal since sometime in November because of all the time he missed, but uh, it's only... 11 games played since his last goal. So uh, good to see him back on the score sheet. I think he was well on pace for 20 goals or, you know, somewhere about there when he went down injured. Um, and so, yeah, I think it's a, a promising sign. Thoughts on definitely. this goal? Yeah. I mean, Blay is like definitely one of the bright points of last year, just kind of coming out of nowhere. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's scary to me because I thought a lot about this team, you know, in the time that he was absent and about how, like, they're overloaded on young forwards and they've got to make some decisions. And I honestly just kind of forgot about him, you know, because what's the, you know, old adage about something? I don't know. Out of sight, out of mind. That's what I was trying to say. Out of mind. What have you done for me lately? Yeah, what are you looking for here, Steve? I don't know, but Jerry. apparently just botched the hell out of it. But, <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, it's good to see him back, and he's just another player that they have to uh, decide on here. This was oh, according to, yeah, this was according to Corsi for the Blues' best period of the game, but they didn't score any more in the first. Uh, they held on to that one goal lead, though, and then Zach Sanford would score his seventh of the season. Red hot Zach Sanford, uh, assisted by Jay Bomeister and Colton Pareko. Bomeister had the gorgeous feed along the boards to Sanford entering the zone. Sanford uh, made the Magnus Payarvi Memorial wraparound goal. Uh, for his seventh of the season. You love to see it. Always good to see the Magpie Memorial goal. Uh, Colton Pareko took the Colton Pareko Memorial slap shot to score his third goal of the season. It's nice to see that he still remembers he can do that. Braden that Shen, baby was a beauty, yeah, too. Yeah, it was. He's a, he. I mean, I don't think any Blues fan disagrees that he should be firing his shot more often, but... At least this time he got it in space and he unloaded it. Braden Shin and Robert Thomas assisted here. Hayden Fleury, who some are calling the Justin Falk, who is still in Carolina, totally ignores Colton Pareko entering the zone. That sounds all right. Shin finds him for the feed and the unleashes, and he unleashes the clapper. It was a nice goal. I mean, both of these goals were really nice. Any thoughts on either of them? Yeah, no, I think they the offense looked gelling and obviously scoring so many goals this period uh you love to see it yeah i mean you do you do indeed love to see it it was a very nice sort of just clean slate um yeah especially after kind of how grindy those games were on the road yeah and we weren't scoring at all so it's always good when the blues get right back out there and uh we've already seen on this um on these first Three goals. The the uh, defensemen have four points. Falk an assist. Bomeister an assist, and Pareko a goal and assist. And and as I tweeted out at some point during the game, it's as predictable as the sunrise that when the Blues defense is pinching and aggressive and contributing to the offense, they are scoring goals and they're winning hockey games. And they did here. Um, yeah, definitely have to jump up in the action more. Yeah, I mean it. Really, I mean it's. I'm I'm not. You know, I mean, people who have listened to this podcast will be well familiar that I'm not necessarily the most, uh, you know, insightful hockey analyst in terms of the uh, pace or strategy of play. But it's it's pretty easy even for me to see that, you know, that's usually the big difference when the Blues are, are cooking on all cylinders and when they're, um, 
you know, sputtering out and struggling like they were in uh, Canada over the last week. So mm-hmm. um, the Canes got a goal here ruining what would have been undoubtedly a shutout for Jordan Bennington, Sebastian Ajo's 27th. Uh, he's really good at hockey and Pretty is good. also Swedish and signed an offer sheet. Three things about Sebastian Ajo. Warmth, not, you might not remember that he signed an offer sheet. Did you know that he signed an offer I sheet? I don't know. I hadn't heard, but I've, it's that's what I've been told. Warren Fogel, I could not tell you three things about Warren Fogel <laughs> if my life depended on it. 15 and, assists then. <laughs> that's <laughs> impressive. And Andrei Svechnikov's 27th assist. Uh, and this was once again a, a terrible break where the puck went right off the linesman to Fogel uh, to Ajo for the first goal of the Canes game. But uh, not to fear, Braden Shin was there for back-to-back goals, assisted by Jaden Schwartz and Ryan O'Reilly on the first one, and Jaden Schwartz and Ryan O'Reilly on the second one. They were also both power play goals. So uh, pretty identical um, setups here. Not the, you know, the goals themselves were pretty different, but the uh, personnel was very similar. Uh, On the first one, it was just lots of good power play passing and the puck got on net and everybody took a whack at it. And as the prophets have foretold, he who whacks last whacks loudest and uh, the goal was Braden Shin. Um, He also scored on the next one. Uh, Nifty passing and not especially good defense leads to another Braden Shin goal. Braden Shin, 20th goal of the season. He peaked at 18 last year. Uh, You know, he had a very down year last year compared to his first year in St. Louis. Uh, And it's nice to see that... um, that year appears to have been the anomaly and not the uh, first year in St. Louis, which was certainly a career high. Uh, do you want to say anything poetic or, or praising about Braden Shin right now? Well, I think it also, look at his line made there, Stephen. Uh, Jaden Schwartz is also having kind of a bounce back year, points-wise, yeah, from where he was last year in the past. Honestly, he's on pace for, what, 60-something points? I would think so, and he stayed healthy somewhere there's wood around me to knock on but um yeah i mean he's been he's a guy i was look i'm just looking every time i look at the blues long-term cap projections i'm kind of like well i don't really love it i love the player but they can probably let Jaden schwartz just walk in a year when his contract is up or trade him for assets now and the more i look at it the more i'm like i'm not so sure that they can do that so (laughs) Uh, yeah, it's tough. I mean, this it's it's really tough to know. This is a, a difficult season to analyze in general because it's like without Tarasenko there at all, a lot of these guys are picking up the slack. Um, you know, Shen and Perron both have 20-plus goals already, which they wouldn't necessarily have if they, you know, were just, if they were playing with Tarasenko. Um, Schwartz and Petrangelo have combined for 30 more. So it's it's hard to evaluate exactly what these guys are, um, you know, in a lineup that has Tarasenko back, hopefully uh, by the playoffs, but definitely, you know, by next season. But, you know. Yeah, it's, it's, it seems silly to say that you're, like, worried about what the lineup looks like with yeah. your best player back in it, but you are kind of worried a little bit. A little bit, but it is great to see that they can deliver when the chips are down, although... Shin and Schwartz do both have a minus 10, so really, they're worthless. Um, <laughs> but uh, Braden Shin's shooting percentage also 17.9%. A 
little elevated, little elevated, <laughs> but um, you know, we'll see. Uh, he's doing well right now, and sometimes those trends can last a full season. So good for him. I mean, so you know, it's also funny. James Schwartz PDO is still like less than it was last year when he was incredibly unlucky. So looking at his possession metrics now. Ooh, look at you getting fancy. It's worse. Yeah. It's worse than it was last year. You're saying it's worse. So last year he had 97. It's like barely worse, but. Remembering how snake bitten he was. Yeah, last year. yeah, yeah, for sure. No, that's. I mean, that's. I guess. I guess good news. I don't know if that's the right word for it, but <laughs> good news um, that you would think it evens out. Probably. Yeah, but yeah, I would think so. Uh, Alex, I was looking at point shares. Alex Petrangelo leads the team. Jordan Bennington is next, and then David Perron, Shen O'Reilly, and Schwartz. Okay, that's and good. Of course, for uh, reasons passing understanding, considering. He doesn't ever get to play on the first line. Number eight behind Jake Allen is Vince Dunn and then Robert Thomas. So wouldn't want to give those guys more playing time because they're too young. Uh, But uh, the Vince Dunn thing, really, I heard somebody, I think, talking, you know, somebody semi-reputable saying like, yeah, he's probably the player the Blues like go to uh, to Seattle. And I just... My absolutely not. <laughs> it's like I don't understand why he doesn't get twenty plus minutes a night. I know that he's more of a defensive liability than some people, maybe more than Jay Bomeister, but also he's not an old skeleton man. Like Jay Yeah, Bomeister. I mean like defensively his numbers are better than Justin Falk, and I would say that I would argue that he's more dynamic than Justin yeah, Falk. Yeah, he should he should be you're, he should be Petrangelo's left to me. Yeah. Um, but uh, that's a fight for another day, I suppose. Zach Sanford gets his first ever NHL two-goal game uh, with his eighth goal of the season. Jay Bomeister, whom I just mocked, gets a, a two-assist game. So good for him. And Ryan O'Reilly's 38th assist. This was a face-off win back to Sanford, who took the big clapper for a goal. It was nice. Nice, powerful shot. I don't exactly know how it got through. Uh, this was not Peter Mrazek's best night. I don't know that he's ever had a best night, though, to be fair. He's a pretty average goaltender on his on his greatest night. But still, nice goal for Sanford, his sixth, or the Blues' sixth of the night. So good, strong scoring performance then. And then the uh, Hurricanes put together a little bit of an effort with their... Uh, Brock McGinn's goal and Martin Neches's goal, which is not how I want to say that. But I <laughs> also don't want to say it any other way, so I guess I'll go with Neches. Uh, They've got some names the, on this team. <laughs> the McGinn goal, they sure do, was just kind of a normal passing uh, to a tip-in sort of thing, but Falk nor Dunn, uh, who I do realize we just praised, have... Any idea that Brock McGinn is behind them right in front of Bennington. And then the the Netches goal, really two of the three goals on the night, a very fluky bounce off uh, Pareko's hand. Ouchie, and uh, gets past Bennington. So Bennington really didn't deserve the uh, 25 out of 28 here. You know, he's more in the 27, 26 range. But even with the... Um, you know, even with those three goals, I think one of his better performances in recent memory. Um, and the Blues won it six to three, really, uh, on the stat sheet, you know, looking at advanced stats, uh, the Hurricanes had a lot of the possession, had the high danger chances were even, uh, expected goals were actually pretty even, but the Hurricanes are kind of a, a high possession team. And so that's not necessarily a surprise that they would be in that situation and i think 
I don't think this is a game with like the Blues got supremely lucky. You know, I think they deserve to win this one. Yeah, and I was like having that big lead early is going to influence that a little bit too. Yeah. Jeremy Rutherford pointed out it's their first regulation win in their last seven games. Two goals Ooh. each for Sanford and Shin and three assists for O'Reilly. Powerpoy was two for four. Bennington 25 saves uh, and his 24th win. So let's talk about Zach Sanford. We've said that we would talk about it and let's talk about it. He has now on the season eight goals and 21 points, which is a new career high. Congratulations, Zach. Uh, First two-goal game of his career was last night. He is also on a red-hot point streak of four goals and five assists in six games. He's had a point in each of those games, and he's plus eight in that time. Uh, Sean Tierney, did you have a chance to read this article? Uh, I did not. Which I'm not, I didn't want to put you on the spot. I was just kind of curious. Uh, it's uh, a good article. I love Sean Tierney. Uh, like most people love their children or at least their favorite Pokemon. Uh, and, um, he had, uh, an article where he just took a deep dive into some of Sanford's stats, metrics, charts, and whatnot. Uh, really interesting stuff in there. He pointed out that uh, Sanford has eight goals on six expected goals. His average shot distance is 25 feet, contrasted with the NHL average of 32 feet, which means he's generally creating much better scoring chances. Seven feet may not seem like a big deal, but when it's, you know, roughly a fourth, a little under a fourth. That's a whole person. That's a, that's a big person. Yeah, that's a whole, a tall person. It's that's, a whole Zidane chart. That's right. Uh even without his uh, jawline or whatever he lost in the world in the Stanley Cup, uh, Samford is also creating the fourth most quality chances among forwards. Um, Shin Schwartz and Perron only beat him. I think that may be since like January. I'm not sure on that one. Uh, this quote is from Samford. I think if anyone has success, it does breed confidence. I owe a lot of a lot to my line mates. They've helped keep my confidence up and talk to me a lot. They've helped me get that confidence and continue to roll with it. We've been creating a lot, and I feel like I've been doing what I need to be doing pretty well. All I've got to do is focus and keep it go- going. Uh, his expected goals for percentage has climbed significantly since January, no surprise there. And in goals above replacement, which is sort of kind of a little bit similar to baseball's wins above replacements, more stats. This is goals above replacement, G-A-R, Gar. not to be confused with V-A-R, Justin. I don't want you to have any PTSD episodes. My, uh, oh, well, okay, we're good. Soccer. <laughs> uh, but um, Samford ranks just fourth on the team in Gar, uh, behind only R-O-R, Schwartz, and uh, Robert Thomas. Uh, very good player that Robert Thomas is. Uh, so, um, Tierney kind of looked at this as sort of like, do the Blues even actually need to make a trade if Sanford is going to play this well? And he concluded, Zach Sanford will never be confused with Vladimir Tarasenko, but the young winger is riding high, getting to the net to create scoring chances, scoring goals, managing the share of quality chances while he's on the ice and contributing enough in all facets of the game to rank with the team's best forwards. While GM Armstrong surveys the trade deadline opportunities to perhaps add to his forward group, it's becoming more and more plausible that Samford might be just the stop gap needed. Best of all, he wouldn't cost Armstrong a package of picks or prospects. In the end, betting on an internal option, play responsible hockey, and pop in the occasional goal with the right line mates might be the shrewdest move 
the boys can make. And as we will talk about in a while, it is the shrewdest move the boys can make. I don't know where you stand on the trade deadline. I think I have some idea. Uh, But we'll talk about that in a little bit. Anything you want to say? I'll settle down. I'll settle down. Anything you want to say? I think Sanford, I think, give them that shot, especially with Tarasenko still out. Like, you want to try people in those roles as to not disrupt the chemistry. Like, I think we'll talk about this when we talk about trades, but I think if you trade for a big winger piece or forward piece in some sort of way, and then you get Tarasenko back. You're just messing with the line chemistry, like just in time for the playoffs when it matters most, as we saw last year. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's important. Uh, I just don't. Yeah, I would. I don't want to get too far off track. I, I think that I think Samford. Reel it in. Reel I'll it focus in. on Samford and just say that I. You know, we saw what he can be in the Stanley Cup final last year. We saw the impact he can make, and. I think we've seen it all on the ice. He has limitless skill to be, you know, kind of in that class of probably a, a Jaden Schwartz, maybe not quite as good as a, you know, Schwartz or a first, first generation David Perron 1.0 or 1.3 where, uh, you know, he's, a, he's just a, a strong top nine forward, probably top six who can uh, get you 50 points in a season. I think he could even be a little better than that. Maybe if he can just, put it together consistently the consistency has been his problem so far this season yeah and you know those middle six players are the players that you need cause control the most oh for sure and i think um you know the statistics show the metrics show that he's actually been consistent for a while now and even if you do see the occasional odd player bad decision metrically speaking his numbers are there and have been really strong so i think he's a definitely a player to keep watching right now and hope he stays this hot because uh i would uh as we'll discuss in a while love for a player like zach samford to convince doug armstrong not to pursue trade options but before we get there uh let's bounce around the league a little bit and talk about some league news how about how's that let's go let's bounce uh Speaking, I, I don't know if bouncing isn't a perfect transition. Uh, I wish you'd said let's punch or let's fight. But uh, the Battle of Alberta has become an actual battle in recent weeks. I think we talked about this a little bit last week uh, with Ian. But um, this has become a real hockey rivalry. Uh, and um, I mean, it was, but this is like a real hockey rivalry now with line brawls and Fist fights and and goalie fights even goalie fights, uh, Steven. <laughs> I don't I don't want to be the kind of guy that celebrates fighting in hockey, but man, by God, is this fun <laughs> when it does happen? Kachuk and Kashian seem to resolve things in their first uh, encounter post the uh, original issue, but then there was an additional game, and that was when all hell really broke loose, and there was a goalie fight, ironically, between backups Mike Smith and Cam Talbert who were playing for the opposite teams that they'd become most famous playing for. Talbot now a flame, and Smith now a uh, oiler. Uh, Smith beat Talbot's fist or face into the ice, uh, which I guess you can add fighting to his list of uh, non-essential goalie skills that commentators will talk about in lieu of praising his actual performance, which they never have an opportunity to do. Uh, of course, stick handling would be the other big thing on that yes. list. Uh, Justin, goalie fight. Uh, Battle yeah, of my favorite part of this whole thing is like how he kind of nonchalantly skates out of center ice here. He's oh, like, God, yeah, that's great. I guess we're doing this. If you guys are down <laughs> there, I'm going to skate out here. If you see me over here, like come out, come out, come on. 
There's a couple they... pictures from behind him that are just terrific. Because all the other guys are, you know, as line brawls tend to be, it's it's five pairings of five. And, and they're just kind of waiting there. Smith standing at center ice, kind of almost leaning on his goal stick, sort of bored and just waiting for Talbot to come out. And he finally an- answers the bell, as the NHL is fond of saying. I don't know. I mean, this is, again, I, I don't, I don't love fighting in hockey. But when it's this kind of stuff and it's not controlled isn't the right word of it, but it's sort of pur- purposeful and it's not just some goon smashing in the brains of some unwarranted guy and you know or undeserving guy. It can be kind of fun and it's certainly I think good for the game. I don't know. Uh, I enjoy yeah, watching. The optics of two guys in goalie pads punching each other is pretty great. Oh, it's, My... it's undeniably the most fun thing that can happen <laughs> in hockey. I mean, stupid, but so fun. These guys in sumo seats practically trying mm-hmm. to throw punches over yeah. the top. It just gets more and more fun as the uh, equipment <laughs> expands and they become more and more like the Stay Puft Marshmallow Man fighting one another uh at center ice but yeah i don't it's just it's fun uh you know it'll it's exciting to watch those games i think they play in the final game of the regular season which could be especially fun because you know either one of them could be in position to be knocked out of the playoffs or uh seating could be on the line or they could both be clear and be able to not play their stars in which case it might just become a real uh donnie brook as the kids say but yeah i don't know it's if you haven't been watching that you've really been missing out um, yeah, and there's still the possibility that they play each other too, which would be oh, in the playoffs. Oh god, that yeah, be, oh, that'd be delightful. Uh, anything else you want to say about that before we move on? No, I guess the last thing is I love how George Peros kind of played the role of I'm going to sit here, I'm going to watch with my own eyes in the stadium, so you better not do anything. And then they saw that and were like, "All right, well, goalie fight." <laughs> yep, yep, it's uh, it's terrific. Uh, another terrific thing, just for the, just for the fun of how bad the NHL is at everything. Uh, I think I think Ian and I discussed that uh, the Sockeye, the Seattle team in Seattle, is expected to be called the Kraken. Uh, Russian machine never breaks, which is largely a, a Washington Capitals blog, I thought, but apparently is expanding more and more now. Uh, reported this story first. They had an article on it, which, what I believe we missed last time. Uh, as Corey Kozlowski tweeted out on January 29th, he says, The most hilarious and on-brand part of the article for the NHL is that ownership was leaning towards the name Seattle Sockeyes until they realized they'd have to buy the rights because it's already the title of an erotic novel series about a hockey team of the same name. Uh, here's Come on, a- you cowards, <laughs> buy the rights. <laughs> an extended selection from the article. This is a quote from... Uh, somebody who I failed to name, uh, failed to grab the name in the uh, screenshot, but it says, that just creates the one of those legal issues that the NHL tends to try to shy away from, trying to secure the rights and that sort of stuff. It's one of the reasons why they've been so reluctant to use names of past teams and things <laughs> like that. And the AHL, they experienced that as well, putting a team in San Diego. They had to buy the goals name, which had been through about seven different leagues and was actually owned by a local junior team in San Diego. So they had to buy the logos and the trademarks and the names and all that stuff. Did that cost like $15? Yes, I'm sure. 
<laughs> but you know, it's a cash draft league. It's just yet another. That's why they need all that escrow. It's right. just yet another process that complicates an already complicated situation. Trying to get an expansion franchise off the ground and get it up and running. Now, Justin, yeah. I am sure. <laughs> I am certain that there is that it is very complex to try and get a franchise up and off the ground. I get that. But it's not this complex. Uh, naming a team is it should not be difficult. the easiest part, right? Saint, I I don't want the I don't want the MLS team to be named this. But St. Louis Spirit, boom! I just did it. It's done. I did but it's like it. we go through this on the STL podcast too. It's like yeah, the stadium is done before like the naming rights and the colors yeah. are done. Like, shouldn't that be opposite? I don't know. It's just like. Yeah, you want to secure once the pieces are in place where it's for sure happening. Like the key arena in Seattle is being renovated as we speak. The franchise rights have been paid. The expansion draft is scheduled. Like there's no ifs here anymore. So this should be the fun and easy part. And Except yet, they're unaware of a best-selling hockey novel. Ah, uh, the best-selling <laughs> Seattle Sockeyes book series by Jamie Davenport. <laughs> That are romance <laughs> ro- novels. Davenport. I love that it's a best-selling hockey book as well. <laughs> Ooh, and Jamie Davenport was even interviewed by ESPN. Uh, she said, "I love for I'd love for Seattle to get an NHL team, and I have built this brand around the Seattle Sockeyes over the last three or four years. I got a logo, T-shirt, jerseys. I make a good amount of money off it, and I know how closely the NHL guards its own brand and its trademarks. I'm not trying to profit off this or stop anybody from using that name. I'm just trying to protect my business." So Jamie Davenport, who writes uh, what would charitably be called romance novels. Uh, erotic hockey fiction. basically threatening <laughs> i mean not basically straight up threatening litigation uh against the um seattle sockeyes oh, against the nhl so if they go with the seattle sockeyes <sighs> and That's, it would be the only way the story could get better is if this hadn't come out yet and they named the team and they were getting ready. It was oh, like two this... months, you know, in the off season, it came out that she was suing the Seattle franchise for the naming rights. Well, wasn't it? Wasn't that part of the story with the Golden Knights, where there was a fear at one point that they were going to get sued by the Army? Like for sure, they were supposed to be the Black Knights, and they yes. got sued by the Army. But I think even when they were going to be the Golden Knights, they still there was still some question as to whether they were going to get be able to clear that, and they ultimately did. Before we move on, I just want to tell you that uh, some of the books in the uh, Seattle Sockeyes hockey series by Jamie Davenport include Love It for Snow, uh, Skating on Thin Ice, and my personal favorite, title-wise, not uh, content-wise. I think <laughs> Skating on Thin Ice is the best book, but the best title is Crashing the Net. Uh, just a, a brilliant use of double entendre there. Good work, Jamie. Uh, it's going to be a uh, Patreon exclusive. It's going to be Jip uh, Jeff reading Crashing the Net for you guys. That's so right. Uh, we're, yeah, we, uh, you got to invest. We'll, we'll get those tears <laughs> out there. It's very much going to happen. And he can't wait to be, uh, to, I would say, graduate, earn the promotion from uh, Jif Jeff to um, Audible Erotica Jeff. 
<laughs> a little, a little more of a mouthful. No pun intended. But I think he but, deserves it. He deserves yeah, this. He, he deserves, really does. He deserves a chance to stretch his legs, and he's gonna get it with us. So, uh, move on before I step into any un- more, any more unintentional double entendres. The Winnipeg Jets Dustin Bufflin situation is coming to a conclusion. This whole torrid saga is going to end in uh, Bufflin just, just straight up leaving Winnipeg. Uh, in thirty-one thoughts this week. Elliot Friedman explains this Jets Bufflin uh, the Jets Dustin Bufflin the NHL and the NHLPA continue to work towards an agreement on his contract termination one of the key negotiating points is beyond both the team and the player with the league and the union needing to agree on language about his grievance from what I've heard there's a low confidence level at this time that he'd win it and in order for things to work out they're going to have to agree that this outcome cannot be used as precedent for any future grievances that has happened before with Mike Richards when he settled with the Kings both sides agreed it couldn't affect future litigation point number four I like by the way how sometimes Friedman just cheats and makes one big story into four or five points. And then sometimes um, he'll have like a two sentence thing for just one yeah, point. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, Bufflin is yet to resume skating, so it's extremely unlikely he returns this season. But if he has any desire to play in the future, there's going to be interest. Obvious connections in Chicago, Florida, and Vegas. Uh, even teams without such queer relationships would wish to talk to him, too. There was a time during this process when the Jets wanted to return with them, but the relationship soured as this continued. He's a unique personality. I say that with respect. Oh, boy. And there's no <laughs> certainty about what he'll do. Uh, let, uh, yikes. Uh, with, with his $7.6 million, this is this is uh, thought number five, with his $7.6 million cap hit off the books, Winnipeg will be in the market for defense. The Jets traded their 2018 and 19 first-rounders for Paul Stastny and Kevin Hayes, respectively. Uh, they did get the latter one back in the Jacob Truba deal. That's when they were near the top of the standings, so I wouldn't expect them to take such a big swing this time around, unless it's for an impact player with term or team control. But they are in the race, and there is a desire to bolster a team that has competed hard in trying circumstances. Um weird weird stuff going on here i don't know. yeah i like in hockey how having a unique personality is just that like you like to spend time on your own sometimes yeah yeah <laughs> or you know you know don't drink or whatever you know you yeah maybe you varnish ships or something in your free time but oh boy i just don't like hockey yeah this is just weird stuff but uh interesting to see that that's going to be resolved or not really resolved but just sort of end um i guess it because Buffling kind of blindsided them. Like, uh-huh. obviously, I don't know, this is a real torrid offseason for them, that things they could not really control necessarily. Yeah, it's, uh, it's a tough predicament, and I'm sort of on one of the situ- rare situations where I'm sympathetic with the league because, as I understand it, he signed his doctoral note in the, you know, offseason after leaving when the Jets got bounced in the first round in six games by the St. Louis Blues. No big deal. Uh, he signed. There's, you know, some very, very legal, very specific form players have to sign to indicate that they uh, are um, – you know, sign, basically signing off on the doctor's bill of health. And he signed that. He didn't report at the time that his ankle was hurting. And then he came back and suddenly said the doctor screwed up. And that's just a whole litigation mess the league doesn't want to get involved in. And so I'm I'm weirdly sort of sympathetic to them. But um, we'll leave that where it is now and move on to this good news, that the Blues rank very highly in athletic projected Ooh. standings. Uh, They are given a 100% chance of making the playoffs. Uh, They're projected to finish 
fifth, but first in the Western Conference. That's not a problem in NHL. Don't worry about it. Not uh, a big <laughs> They are given a 62% chance of making the second round, 34% chance of making the third round, a 22% chance, which is seems very high, of making the Stanley Cup final, and a 10% chance of winning the whole thing. They're tied with Colorado for the highest odds in each of those categories, although they do have a 1% better chance than Colorado of making the second round. So uh, watch out, boys. Uh, but also in this scenario, we probably play Nashville, I would think. Right. That's yep. fair. And I think we could handle Nashville. I really yeah. Uh But yeah, I mean, that doesn't show you anything that we didn't already know other than that the metrics kind of are bearing out that the Blues are as good as they look on paper. This, you remember a lot through last season, uh, Money Puck and some of those other projections were a lot higher on the Blues than it seemed like they had any reason to be uh, before the Blues turned it around. And so this is kind of the inverse of that, where it's like, oh, hey, they actually are good. So that's exciting. And I think that could bring us to our last big topic of the day. Uh, the trade deadline is about three weeks away, as we said here. Um and there is increasing smoke to the fire of Chris Kreider to the St. Louis Blues. It came in too big. Now, Justin, let's let's talk it out first. Okay. It okay. Came in, I'm calm. I'm uh, calm. I'm it calm. came in two big waves. The first was, uh, you, you know how when you wake up, uh, you stare at your phone as you do in the morning, which is always probably a very healthy practice. Uh, and sometimes something just hits you and you're, basically your first thought in the morning is like, screw this uh when i read the headline that uh pierre lebrun was saying chris Kreider is a must get for the blues and it is worth the high cost of a first round pick in jordan Cairo. i thought no no it's not not at okay. all and that was like my first thought of the day i was very angry uh but yes uh lebrun said my take yes it's a high price to pay no shit uh teams don't spend first round picks at the deadline like they're candy anymore but here's what i do know so far eight teams have informed the rangers that they've got Kreider at the top of their wish list and the rangers are looking for at least this return uh at least the return they got on kevin hayes a year ago at the deadline the jets gave up a first round pick and a winger Brandon Lemieux for renting out pending UFA Hayes. Now Hayes is a center. Kreider is a winger. But Kreider currently is the top of the rental class. I just want to pause there for a moment that and just point out that in no way on earth do Brendan Lemieux and Jordan Cairo compare to one another. But before, no, absolutely before absolutely we dig not. in too deep, <laughs> let's go on and say the Blues have other young forward prospects coming out the pipeline. I'm sure they would hate giving up the promise in Cairo 21, but Kreider is such a nice fit with his playing style on the Blues who are eager to defend their Stanley Cup title. Maybe the Blues can try to condition the first round pick. Uh, maybe they can try to condition Justin Jordan Cairo by not giving up Jordan Cairo. Uh, Here's the condition. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I have one condition. Not him. Okay. Uh, uh, where was I? We're eager to defend, uh, condition the first round pick to make sure they get out of the first round of the playoffs at least. But given the serious interest in Kreider, I'm not sure that's going to be an option. It's not clear yet if Vladimir. Tarasenko will be back before the playoffs and that has major cap implication because the Rangers retaining gives the Blue more, Blues more breathing room either way and then uh, Elliot Friedman's poured 
coals on the fire saying, in thought 21, Chris Kreider took a full practice on Tuesday and will be in the lineup for the Rangers on Wednesday. I like the way that he phrases that so that it sounds like this might be imminent. Uh, (laughs) But if the St. Louis is not his eventual destination, one of the Blues' fallback options would be Florida's Mike Hoffman. St. Louis considered him twice before and did extreme research. Extreme! Oh, extensive research. That makes much more sense. I would have really preferred extreme research. I would have also preferred extreme research. (laughs) Before Ottawa traded him. Of course the Panthers have to decide if they're going to go this route. They're looking for some defensive help. In their last 25 games, they've given up fewer than 28 shots just once. Six of those games were in their 40s, including Tuesday's 1-0 overtime loss to the Columbus. Goaltending numbers may not look great, but those guys have been pretty good um doug doug this is your old friends of the two guys one cup podcast doug doug dougie dougie doug, 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 doug. justin who's also here i mean he's you know you're friends but you're just not tr- traditionally the co-host but you're very welcome um don't do this doug <laughs> i don't know what i don't know what doug armstrong's thinking and i don't know what the Alex Petrangelo situation is, although I'm scared. I am scared. Um, Here's what really, really doesn't work for me. What really doesn't work for me is that that, Doug Armstrong believes that Alex Petrangelo will walk in the offseason, and so he's decided he has to load up for a consecutive run this season. That, to me, is the nightmare scenario. Yeah, I mean, like, the thing is... We are the best team in the Western Conference right now without Vibram Tarasenko, who you know you'll be getting back to the playoffs. Why do they feel like they need to trade for someone who's Jaden Schwartz light by giving up a first-round pick and giving up Jordan Kyrou bring something that Chris Kyrou will never bring you? Yeah, I don't... I'm not... I don't get the obsession with Chris Kreider, too either I, he scored like a max 55 points he's a fun player he's a fine he's fast he's gritty i get all that but like six foot three every time he steps on the ice of course yeah naturally <laughs> but like i mean if here's the thing i don't want mike hoffman either at all and that seems like a giant middle finger to alex petrangelo yeah that's the one where i'm like okay we just don't want but, petro to stay at all but then. like if you're just talking about like would you paying that kind of a premium for Chris Kreider or paying less for Mike Hoffman, no question I'd rather have Mike Hoffman. Just as, like, just for the player caliber person, you know? Um, and I'd, I'd probably rather have uh, Tyler Toffoli. I'd definitely rather have uh, Pajo out of Ottawa. Like, I'm just, I don't, I don't, maybe I'm missing something. I just don't get the Kreider obsession. Yeah. And it seems like LeBron, it seems like his agents and LeBron's ear is like oh, pumping him up a little bit. For sure. And that did really strike me as like, that's yeah. got to be his angle on the story, which is, isn't even a problem to me. Like, that's how the hockey media works. Um, but um, I just think like Kyrie for Kreider, sure. I don't even know if I would do that. But then to throw a first on top of it. It just seems beyond the pale to me for a suggestion. Yeah, I just Cairo Cairo in a first is insane for Chris Kreider. That's insane for a rental. That would be the biggest rental package anyone has given up in like a decade. That would be bigger. And here's the reason I know for sure that's not going to happen. That would be bigger <laughs> than what Taylor Hall got. 
And yeah. if and if we were willing to give that up, we'd just have Taylor Hall. Like you can't tell me if we're gonna right. if we're gonna rent and if we're gonna rent at that level, you can't tell me that they wouldn't have rather given up a first and Cairo and uh, Tyler Tucker for Taylor Hall, and uh, two months ago instead of now giving up just a first in Cairo for Chris Kreider, you know? So, like, um, I, I, I don't know. I, I, I just don't. Yeah, and, like, I look at, <laughs> you would think Armstrong would learn from the whole Ryan Miller fiasco that you don't make big packages at the trade deadline because it well, doesn't and, work out and Yeah, and I don't, I don't necessarily think that, you know, is like a permanent embargo on trading. And I do think I do, Steven. <laughs> Good. Good. Well, hey, it's nice to have a fresh perspective on the podcast, even if it's a wrong one. Uh, but, no, but I mean, you know, and that does say something about goalies. And it is why you almost never see goalies moved at the deadline anymore. But um I just don't know why you're you're in a good position. I don't know why you that's, would that's make the that thing. trade at I all. Did, you are the team that just won the Stanley Cup. You didn't right. lose anybody. The only person you've lost is Tarasenko, who we expect to be back. And we're not struggling that much without him. You know, we're definitely not scoring as many goals as we might be if we had him. But Chris Kreider and his 18 goals a season or whatever isn't, that ain't it to me. You know, like that's not, yeah. I don't get why that's the solution that is they're expecting to fix everything. And I just think, and I think he takes up Robert Thompson's spot, or at least yeah. is less for Rob Thompson to move up. Kreider has 18 goals and 17 assists right now on a, on a team where he is the whole show offensively. He had 28 goals last year and he's had 28 goals one other time. So fine. But that's a, his career high is 53 points. So I just don't. I don't know. I just don't see it. I don't. I don't. The real it. Patrick Berglund type. And I don't think there's there's no room for us to consider negotiation to extend him, which I wouldn't necessarily even want. But at least if you're talking about trading for him, it'd be nice to think that that was an option. And I just don't. I don't get this rumor at all. And I wonder if it's just a smokescreen or something. You know, maybe Doug's got something else up his sleeve. I, I don't get it. And Okay, hear me out, Steven. Yep. Okay, so uh, in order to re-sign Alex Petrangelo, yep. we need to free up, mm, let's say, like $4.5 million. Yep. So if we look on Cat Friendly, in addition let's, to down, what let's see what kind of contracts worth $4.5 right? million next show we can get rid of. Oh, um, Jake Allen, right? That's a, that's a guy that we don't necessarily need to have. Uh, we, have um, we have to have him, Justin. I'm <laughs> so what if we made some trade where we could shed his salary, say, trade him for uh, Cody CC, who can play uh, backup emergency goalkeeper, and then you're done with it. You <laughs> wipe your hands and then you else. resign Patrick Jones. Bada boom, bada bing, back to back cups. I, that's, that's my plan. For me, I just don't... <laughs> I've t- we've talked about this before, and before we go, I'd be interested to get your perspective. Yeah, because you're my non-joking perspective. Even the- well, no, I enjoy. That. I'd make that trade. Honest <laughs> to God, I would. But that's a different. That's a different problem. Um, <laughs> that, and again, I just want to clarify: it's not an Alan hate thing. It's just the practical reality that we can't afford four point three million. We can't be paying our backup four point five million dollars. Yeah. Um, but in any case, uh, no. 
just because you'll have a different perspective or might than Justin, uh, or than <laughs> you are, Justin, so you won't, uh, but a different perspective than Ian would. Um, Petrangelo, to me, is this team. Not that he's its best player, necessarily, or that they couldn't, in theory, replace him, or that he's even, you know, the leader of all leaders, even though he's got the captaincy. Like, the captaincy, I think we've made pretty clear on this podcast, doesn't matter as much to us as it does to some people. But, like, my point is, I don't, and I've said this before, I you can't have any idea what the Blues are without Alex Petrangelo. So I don't really know why he isn't re-signed yet. And it yeah, really... and you look at, like, when he has been hurt in the past, and now this team has just imploded with him not on the ice. And he's someone that can play 25 minutes plus a night. So losing him, you're going to have to find someone to make up that ice time, plus someone to replace the person that made up that ice time. Yeah. Uh, and I think he's someone that's going to age pretty well. Like we saw, I forget who is, was it Tierney's that was talking about how he should age grade? Um. Yeah, yeah. Or no, that was uh, Dom in City. Okay. Dom, Dom, Lecision, Precision. Yes. Um, we're talking about how his game is going to age very well. So I think if that's someone he gave the Dowdy contract to, even like 8x11 or 8x12, I don't think that, that necessarily like kills your team. Like, say that what Chicago has seen with Seabrook or Keith. Now, no, if that's what they're worried about. But then you turned around and you gave Justin Falk his contract. So I don't think that you're worried about paying someone into their late 30s. Yeah, it's just... The thing is that we've gone back to before, it's like Armstrong made all those contracts about, or comments at the time of the Shin signing about, you know, yeah, some of these contracts might suck in five years, but we've got this window and we need to extend it. And that's, I really don't actually mind that line of thinking because you you just won the team's first Stanley Cup in 50 years. 52 yeah. years. You don't necessarily want to just screw around with the recipe that got you there. And you do want to see if you can maybe add two or three more in that time. You know, I mean, that's a lot. But even one more in that time would just put you on a whole different level of legitimacy and history and everything. Um, but if that's your theory, if that's your logic, if you're thinking, hey, let's put guys on long-term, lower dollar value deals to keep them here now so that we keep the core intact. How does that plan not begin with Alex Petrangelo straight out of the gate? Number one. And so by signing Falk and I've heard people say, well, if we re-sign Petrangelo, what happens to Pareko? You probably trade him and that's fine because I will say bluntly right now, Alex Petrangelo is much more important than Colton Pareko. Colton Pareko is very good. And I, I love him, and we've said stupid things about him <laughs> not living up to expectations in the past, and we were very, very wrong. But to me, it's not even a question that Alex Petrangelo is, is you know, he's a centerpiece defenseman, and I'm not sure Pareko can step into every role that Petrangelo fills if we do trade him. Yeah, he's someone that's going to get Norris votes again this year. Yeah, mm. and I, I think Petrangelo may be on route to being, like, a, a, at least a finalist. If not second place, I think Carlson's probably going to lock down John, not Eric. Eric's a disaster, but uh, John Carlson's probably going to lock out the trophy. The one that can pivot on his skates. That yes, one. exactly. At least in theory. Uh, but it's I just I don't know. I don't 
I don't want to belabor the point, but I am getting extremely nervous for this last month because to me, if Petrangelo's signing should be your number one through eight priorities, and if you are in a situation where you just straight up believe that he's just, or maybe you know for a fact that he's not coming back, maybe you don't even intend to offer him anything. I would advocate trading him, but I get why you're not going to do that when you've got as good a chance of anybody as when at winning the cup again. But right. you can't, you can't then go and trade futures because you've got to. Just, just you got to pick a lane, Doug. Yeah, it's like I, either you're doing it now or you're doing it later. But you're not. I don't. I don't get it. I don't get it. I just worry. I just worry that you go into playoffs with all the chips down and then you lose in the first round, like we are apt to do as a franchise. What if last year was a fluke and we go back to being the blues and you lose to say Nashville or Chicago in the first round. And then Petra walks in for agency and then you got nothing to show for it. And then you're a disaster. You're and then a you're disaster. disaster. And I can only assume that's exactly what will happen. <laughs> Cause I'm a very positive person. Uh, no, I just, I, I just want resolution. I'm just at that point where I was like, I was through, you know, October and November and and even December, I was just kind of calmly just sort of, you know, it'll get done, it'll happen, it'll happen, it'll happen. And now I'm at that point where I'm like, it needs to happen because Steven's going insane. And literally, (laughs) I don't understand what the holdup is. Literally, every time. Try to orchestrate some way to open up cap space that isn't working. Yeah. And literally, every time I look down at my phone and see an NHL.com update, I'm like, this is the one. This has to be the one. It's never the one. Uh, but that's uh, that's um, all I've got to say this week. Do you have anything more you want to add or discuss? No, I think I think we've discussed as much as I need to discuss on the Alcantara situation. It's disgusting. Disgusted. Um, something. There's some imminent. Eminem lyric about this must mean I'm disgusting, but I'm not cool enough to pull it off. So um, I'm trying to look up the Blues schedule for the upcoming week, discuss who and when the Blues will play. Uh, and of course, their website loads like ass. They play the Winnipeg Jets at home tomorrow night, the Dallas Stars at home Saturday night, and then go to California for the Ducks and the Vegas Golden Knights. Great late night games again, because you know you always love those. And, Is that the bad strip, though? Uh, it might be. It's a little two game rotor in the West Coast. So, yeah, that's probably it. And uh, then we come back home on Nashville uh, on next Saturday uh, to play Nashville on a matinee game. So you know how that will go. Um, the good oh, news no. is <laughs> the good news is because of scheduling and everything else, uh, Valentine's Day being that Friday, uh, Ian and I are going to record right after that game. So if it's a disaster, you'll get our live reaction on it, and that would be very fun. I'm kind of rooting for disaster almost because I just think I know anything fun. about matinee games against Nashville. I've always been on it. Yeah. Especially without Tarasenko. Oh, for sure. For sure. Tarasenko <laughs> had to literally take the last one over to win it. So yeah, uh, that'll be our next time talking. Justin, do you have anything you'd like to plug or say before we get out of here? Uh, you can, if you uh, want to come see my other takes on things, you can follow me at Horniker Justin, my last name, probably my first name. Um, listen to the STL podcast at some point if you want. Yeah. If you want it. It's a lot of fun, and Justin does hard work on the Twitter account, which you can also follow at STL underscore podcast, much like uh, the um, 
2G1C podcast, I can't speak, podcast Twitter account. Uh, Justin, you do all the hard work. Uh, and um, I don't know, I just, you do a lot of the tweeting and I do a lot of the tweeting on the hockey one. So it's just, uh, it's nice to have you take that over. I appreciate that. So yeah. Yeah. Uh, we will be back. Uh, Justin will be back with us sometime, I'm sure. Uh, but Ian and I will be back Saturday. And uh, I guess we can just get out of here. I don't know. I don't know. Let's go. Doug, uh, resign Alex Petrangelo, please. Yeah, Doug, Thank you. please. Uh, please, uh, please. And uh, please, good night, everybody. But except for you, Doug, you need to be working. Uh, <laughs> good night, night, everyone. Night. <laughs> so please, 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 let me, let me, let me, let me. Get what I want this time Haven't had a dream in a long time See the life I've had can make a good man bad So for once in my life let me get what I want Lord knows it would be the first time Lord knows it would be the first time